You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and your resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that I am. Well, I spent a lot of time working on uh, going back over the game and trying to do grades because uh, JJ was kind enough to put together this spreadsheet that basically is you just put in how many snaps they played and, you know, count out, uh, you know, positive, negative, whatever. And so I kind of figured out what I would do because I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily do PFF snap counts. I would just put in the grades and then have a column that would count how many times I put in a grade or whatever. So that would be the new snap count. And then I came up with a system for how I would, you know, just to keep things consistent. Like what is on a uh, eight point scale from negative four to positive four, which me trying to come up with a system that's different than PFF so that I can try to represent what I think fans would like more. I come to realize that what I came up with is exactly PFF's grades. They do negative two to positive two, but in 0.5 increments. So it's like, dang it. Um, so I still got to work on that. But the, the, the point of all this is that I freaking hate it so much. And I, I knew this would happen. I said, when I went back and did it, I'm like, all right, I know this gets brutal. So just do offense, power through and do offense. I have three series left and two of them, I think are like three and outs. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing this. I I at least need a break. I can't freaking do this. So brutal. So awful, so horrible. And, and part of the issue is it's, it's, there's so much nuance in football that even though I think my grading scale is pretty comprehensive, every single play is like, a, eh, I don't know, what about this though? You know, I mean, what, what do you do with a receiver that runs a route to the other side of the field that really wasn't a part of the play? If you mark it as zero, by the way, a zero is basically a negative. That counts as a great, but it shouldn't. So then you could, you could just leave it blank. But there are some times where they kind of run a route, and it's like, well, well, this guy ran a route, and he, he got open, so should I give him credit? And then this guy ran a route, so, so then every time anybody runs a route on any play, even if it doesn't go to them, even if it was a designed one-read play, I, which I don't know that it is, I'm supposed to see, hey, he didn't get separation, therefore, and then what do you do when Christian Watson runs and gets separation, but he's running against his own defense, and it was schemed open? 
as opposed to somebody else who's you know and, and what if it's double coverage what if it's what if it's double coverage and you got people over the top and he's trying to run into it you can't get open on that that's impossible am i supposed to dock somebody and give somebody a negative grade because they weren't open on that play what if it's christian watson who's just running in a straight line trying to clear out is it positive because he helped to clear out the middle section or is it ne- there's so much and that's just that's just looking at receivers then there's the offensive line what do you do when it's a quick pass, am I supposed to give him credit for blocking somebody for, you know, 0.9 seconds? Do I not give them credit? Where, what is the cutoff? Is it sub two seconds? Is it 2.1 seconds? Is it 1.7 seconds? At what point do you cut it off and say you don't get any credit? And then what if, what if you say, I'm not grading it because he got the ball out in 0.9 seconds, but one of the offensive linemen got knocked on his back? And obviously he didn't get to Rodgers because the ball came out quickly, but he still sucks. It's a negative, but how negative? It's just every single play. And, and then when you change your mind, like, all right, we're going to start doing it this way, then you have to try to like write out the rules somewhere so that you remember it for next time and keep it consistent. Also, I'm not going back and changing it. So my standards change throughout the whole process. So you come to hate this whole thing knowing that it's garbage, and then you look at it and everybody's pretty much got a 60 at the end of this. And it's like, all right, I'm freaking done. I'm done. I haven't learned anything. I haven't done anything. I've changed my mind 900 times, and everybody basically has a 60. I will say, though, with the exception of, I'll I'll tell you where I left off. With the exception of the three last drives, um, and as you know, they're they're pretty negative drives. The highest grade, the highest grades, there were uh, several in the 70s. Mercedes Lewis was the highest. He didn't have any negatives in the entire game. He had one or two zeros, and that's it. Um, the next highest for me was Yash Nyman, followed closely by Elton Jenkins. After that was David Bakhtiari, followed closely by Josiah DeGuara. Uh, actually, Randall Cobb is higher than, uh, Randall Cobb is second. I missed him. But those are all the guys in the 70s. After that, very close behind is Christian Watson, 69.2. Everybody else is just kind of muddled in the 60s with the exception of Tyler Davis, who had a 45, because... <laughs> He played, uh, I think, three three different times he was graded and had uh, two negatives and one positive. So that's about it. That's where I left off, and, and I will finish that at some point, but I just don't want to. And then the defense, because the defense was out there a lot more than the offense. Like, do I even want to get started on this or, or what? Because I don't even know. I don't know if I want to do that. But I probably should see it through, but I, I don't want to. But now you know. There you go. Mercedes Lewis, player of the offense, pending craziness to happen at the end of the game, which it doesn't. Speaking of random information you don't care about, did you see McDonald's has a new... You probably did, because everybody knows everything except me. I don't pay attention to the news. I don't really watch TV with commercials anymore, so I'm, I'm so out of the loop. But McDonald's has new stuff? I, I saw this on Twitter, the Mighty McMuffin. I'm like, that's fake. Somebody's just saying fake stuff. And I Googled it, and apparently it's a thing. And I don't know if they have it by my McDonald's, but I'm thinking about going and get it. Anyways, I Google it, and they're talking about last week, McDonald's dropped a, an item called the McDelivery Chicken Combo, which has 10 chicken selects. No idea what that is. Chicken strips or something. With four dips, and then 20 nuggets with four other dips. So then I started thinking, we're going to talk about football in one second here. I started thinking... What time do they switch from breakfast to lunch? Because I want to be standing in line, right? So let's say it's like 10 o'clock at 9.58, just because I don't want them to switch it over yet. I want to be in line, and I want to say, all right, I want your uh, your Mighty McMuffins, okay? 
And don't put ketchup on it because that's disgusting. I don't want ketchup on my, my stuff. It's stupid. I'm going to say that right to her face. That's, listen to me. That is stupid. Don't do that. She'll say, okay. She'll say, is there anything else? And I'm going to say, uh, give me about two minutes. She'll say, we're going to start, we're going to stop serving breakfast pretty soon. Okay, well, get that one ready. Put it in your little uh, slidey thing over there where you slide the food down. Let it sit there. And then in two minutes, I'm going to order the uh, McDelivery chicken combo. And I do not want you to give me any crap about that. Just make the two things, okay? I know you guys are weird about breakfast, lunch, whatever. Just do it. If she says no, then I'll just take my sandwich, go eat it, come back, and I'm going to get the the McDelivery chicken combo. (sighs) I do love chicken nugs, though, man. Chicken nugs are good. Anyways, in the theme of Thanksgiving, I thought we would do a little thing about what we're thankful for, because it's Thanksgiving. And I wanted to start by asking Aaron Rodgers what he is thankful for. And fortunately enough, he, uh, he called into the show and was kind enough to tell me what, uh, personally, not anybody else, just me, uh, this is a private conversation between him and I that I recorded and told him I would not release, but did anyways, because I do what I want. And here is what Rodgers had to say when I asked him, Rodgers, what are you grateful for? Well, Brian, I love having Randall back. Obviously, he changes what we can do. And, you know, it's unfortunate we had to put him on IR. Yep. Uh, but, that, was, uh, that was me. I said, yep. He stepped right in and allowed us in receiving. Um, I'm not surprised. There might be some people who are surprised, but I see how hard he works. And he just has an innate feel for the game, uh, being able to understand when to get open, what the timing is. And he makes plays every time he's out there. I mean, it just uh, there's a precision with everything that he does. And you just you can't put a value on that, yeah. you know, like a, a specific dollar value or leadership value or just that innate football IQ. And, and then the precision and the basis of the foundation of precision is details. And that's what we've been lacking at times, never with 18. You know, just never been an issue for him. He just, everything is is planned, uh, and then he leaves room for reactions and catches the ball well with his hands, obviously, and he always finds a way to get open on time. So I love having him back. With Christian, you know, it's been, been really fun. Um, and it is crazy in this business, and, you know, DB, you played a long time, and I'm sure you can relate to this. Sometimes, it just, and maybe for yourself too, it just takes one play, and one play just changes your whole Mindset. Uh, he thinks my name is DB, no big deal. And direction of your career. It could be young career, it could be older career. Yep. Could be Might have told him I was a football player too, it's fine. Middle. But for him, I feel like the over-the-shoulder touchdown catch that he had chain, like, just took this huge anxiety monkey gorilla off of his back. And after that happened, and in the backflip, He's been a different player. He really has. And it's not just in the games where you've seen, obviously, you know, he had two touchdowns and, and again, uh, you know, making big plays for us. But in practice, I mean, I feel like there's been tweaks, tiny tweaks in the in the practice habits. I would venture to say, honestly, I think a lot of it's subconscious. I don't think, you know, even that it's all like a conscious thing where he's like, okay, now I made a play. Now I'm going to practice a little bit different. Now I'm going to do this a little bit different. I just think it, it's literally this anxiety uh, gorilla that was on his back got taken off, and now he's just able to kind of take a deep breath and and be be a lot freer. Um, now there's still things that he's going to learn, uh, releases and, and, and uh, route running stuff that, uh, that, that he'll continue to get better at, but 
the confidence piece and catching the ball. Uh, that's been what did you really, say? Really what did you say about him? You said we, I haven't seen a lot of guys that look like him running around the field for Green Bay or something like that. At the beginning of the season, whenever you when I asked you about him or we asked you about him, you're like. You don't see a lot of humans like him around there. What do you think his, you know, his ceiling is? You think he can go on to be, especially now with this reborn uh, swagger and confidence that he's found? Do you think? Well, you know, Pat, I don't really want to get into that. I feel like that's okay. that, that's been some of the anxiety that that led to got it. Some of the struggles is, you know, we wanted to um, anoint, you know, both him and Romeo, who had nice, you know, training camps and preseasons, especially Rome's because Christian was hurt for a lot of it. We wanted to kind of anoint them already, these like rookies who are going to be, you know, whatever the prognostication was. I don't want to do that to him. You know, I really don't. I think the anxiety he's dealt with already is a lot for any player. And the fact that he's gotten in their side of this and had two nice games and five touchdowns in two weeks. You know, I just want to let him be be a young kid. I want to let him enjoy uh, this, you know, kind of entry into uh, – feeling the the stardom that goes along with playing well yeah. and not start to say oh you know this is his ceiling now you know now because then we oh then we got to expect him to be what uh you know we got to expect him to be julio jones now as a, as a young player expect him to be calvin johnson no let's just let him be him and and let him enjoy this uh this run that he's he's put together the last two weeks and and let him come along at uh, whatever pace is uh is right for his story. Okay, sweet. All right, fine. That wasn't my show. Um, no, I, I thought that was a good way to kind of kick this off as far as Thanksgiving. We we, we didn't get through everything that was mentioned uh, yesterday, and I thought this would be a good one for today. Obviously, I mean, he was asked specifically about Christian is why he brought that up, but he was asked about Christian and then more broadly the wide receivers, and he brought up Randall Cobb. But it is a little sad. First of all, massive props to uh, to Randall because nobody expected anything from Randall. Uh, not only is he probably our best performing, I know Christian's got the touchdowns, but best consistent performing receiver on the team. But he's one of the you know higher graded receivers I think in the NFL right now via PFF. And again, it just comes down to to hard work. You know, there's the raw talent, and then there's the the experience, and then there's the work. And as, especially as you get older, like Randall, is the the talent starts to diminish, the speed and and all the the body starts to break down a little bit. But if you can stay up on the on the hard work. He's obviously got the experience, but it, it is a little sad that he has that mentality with Christian. I'm glad that he does do whatever you got to do to to not stunt his growth. But um, I miss I miss the comments made by Rogers and and everybody else about how kind of freakish he is. But hey, I tell you what, if uh, if that's if that's going to help him continue this run, I'm fine lowering the expectations. Christian, if you're listening, meh. How's that? If you're out there somewhere, just want to let you know, as far as your performance so far, eh, it's, it's all right. Not good, not bad, you know? There, I did my part. Anyways, uh, I do want to continue on with this. A uh, couple of other little insights here. Uh, why don't I just play the whole question, because it would be easier than um, me trying to summarize it for you. But AQ Shipley, who is a uh, former, I believe, center for the Cardinals, probably a few other teams, but um, he has a question for Rodgers specifically about, obviously, the run game, and I thought Rodgers' answer was interesting. Yeah, Aaron, I always study the hell out of the run game, and I have most of the time over your career, and I always thought you guys were one of the better sub-run game, if not best sub-run game teams in the league over your time. 
I saw a sequence at the beginning of the third quarter. You had both backs in the backfield, and you kind of had like a whole little sequence of package plays where you faked one, ran the toss out of it, another one you handed off, another one you run the play action. I feel like that's a big key to moving forward, having both those backs on the field. Is that something you have a big uh, hand in, or is that, you know, Coach, Coach LaFleur? Well, Senevich, actually, the, uh, the uh, offense coordinator for us, uh, who was line coach uh, for a few years before getting elevated, uh, does a lot of the run game, I believe. Um, and I love the little intricacies that we've we've kind of put into it. I thought last week we had a couple really cool things. You know, we've been so, doing so much uh, motion out of that, the back, one of the backs to the two-receiver side, and then running in inside or outside zone with some sort of run, uh, you know, RPO. And then this last week we started off and ran Dylan behind and then flipped it same side to Jones, which I thought was a really nice adjustment for us. And we also ran a little pseudo option, even though they didn't really give me the, uh, the green light to, you know, kind of pull that and get down the field before a pitch. But I thought that was a good wrinkle as well. Um, but I like the wrinkles we've done in, in our 21 personnel with both those backs in the field and, you know, we got to get our best guys in the field, and they consistently show up as being playmakers for us. 33, obviously, is a, is a crazy difference maker. We can take it to the house every run. And 28's been very consistent for us as well. So, you know, we just uh, – we're going to always have wrinkles like that. I'm not sure how much uh, this week, but there's always stuff in the plan. Whether or not we get to it is another story. If you So the main crux of this, and the reason I wanted to bring it up, is Adam Stenovich has taken a lot of crap recently. Uh, we all acknowledged that he was a phenomenal offensive line coach. Um, but I think a lot of the blame, at least to some degree, has fallen on Adam Stenovich insofar as there has been a massive drop-off in our offense, largely because our offensive coordinator left and, and Stenovich was promoted and was a obviously much worse uh, person to be in that spot. The, the hard part about me even engaging with that thought is that I don't know. I don't know, first of all, what their job assignments even are. I know neither of them are calling plays. So it's hard for me to tie any specific thing to Adam Stenovich and say, this is an area where we are regressing because of Adam Stenovich. However... This goes kind of in the opposite direction. Now, I don't know to what degree last year Adam Stenovich was just an offensive line coach as opposed to the like primary run game person, right? Because I, I, I assumed he was the sort of the run game guy previously, but maybe to a lesser degree. Uh, I don't know. But Matt, uh, Aaron Rodgers seemed to allude to last year he was the offensive line coach. He's been promoted to offensive coordinator and has taken over pretty much in its entirety, the run game responsibilities. That's at least how I read his words. Again, I'm sure LaFleur is involved in the run game as his butt kiss, just as I'm sure Stenovich was last year, but, but to a larger degree. But the bottom line is, as much as there's been kind of crap shoveled on this team, I stand by my statement, and I haven't really heard anybody back me up on it necessarily, at least outright say it, but I stand by my statement that this is the best rushing attack I've seen the Green Bay Packers have in I don't know how long. Now, it's not perfect, and there are certainly flaws, and there are times when John Runyon and Josh Myers make me want to rip my hair out. But I think it's much more consistent. And I think the other guys, Yash, um, 
Elton, maybe to a smaller degree, at least in this last game against Tennessee, I don't think he was a disaster. And 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 uh, David Bakhtiari, I think, has has been doing a great job. But aside from massive fail, you know, one guy in the inside gets blown up and it blows up the play. There has been a lot of cohesion, so I, I think there's a lot less of guys not knowing what they're supposed to do. I think guys know what they're supposed to do. When we don't execute, it's just guys not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Not because they don't know, but just you know, you you, you lose on a block or whatever right? The, the running back doesn't trust his eyes, doesn't trust the assignment and, and bails or whatever the case may be, which I actually started seeing Aaron Jones do last week, which is very rare. In, in my life, I've never, I'm sure it's happened. It's not like I watch every single game, but I was stunned and had to watch it four times because I refused to believe it. But there was a hole there to run through and Jones is kind of like zigzagging around, doesn't really know what to do and then doesn't really hit the hole. It's just, it was weird. But again, it's not a it doesn't look to me anyways to be an offensive line that doesn't really know what they're doing. They seem to know exactly what they're doing. And the timing and the synchronicity seems beautiful. So as long as guys can execute, we're starting to see more success in the run game. And again, much more explosive plays, which was, I think the Packers were dead last last year in explosive runs. It just didn't have, you know, yards over or, uh, gains of, of 10 yards or more just didn't happen. They, they might get consistent four or five yarders. But you did not see big explosive plays. We're seeing a ton of them now, and and on a weekly basis. Even even last week, I think we had maybe two of them. One for sure, I think at least two. And this is against a really really good Tennessee Titans uh, front. And again, remember we we by the second half we kind of had kind of gotten away from the run. Plus, we didn't have very many opportunities, partially because the offense couldn't stay on the field, and partially because the defense couldn't get off the field. All that to say. Had the offense had as many opportunities as before, we probably would have seen even more. But I think that that aspect is going great. And in so far as I can blame the failures on Stenovich, I don't know where I could begin to do that. Um, I mean, you could say, well, the, the wide receivers don't know what they're doing. I, I think Watson is coming along quite well, as is Dobbs. Randall is right on target. It kind of seems like Sammy and Amari were the ones that were struggling. Sammy is a veteran. And it's hard to say that you're not getting your guys ready when a lot of the guys, especially the ones that you don't expect to be up to speed, are kind of getting up to speed at a, at a high rate. So I tend to put that on the players more so than the coaches. Uh, Aaron Rodgers regressing. I don't put that on Stenovich. We, he, he has a new quarterback coach. If anything, it's on him. But it's unlikely that that would be the case. Again, the guy's got a broken thumb. Uh, Devontae's not there. It causes these kinds of problems. So I just wanted to highlight that to say, I think Stenovich, at the very least, I don't have any information that says that he's failing as an offensive coordinator. At least I can't tie anything directly to him. It doesn't mean that he that he's not failing in some areas. You know, there could be some preparation areas, or um, per- perhaps you know, game planning is is not quite Stenovich's uh, strength compared to what we had last year with Hackett. Maybe Hackett was just really good at that, breaking it down and, and understanding how to attack defenses. Maybe I don't know. But I, I can't really tie any failures to Stenovich. And, and if anything, I think we're seeing him, especially in the area which we know he's working on, I'm seeing massive improvement. So I'm not saying I'm, I'm super excited, but mm, if I had to choose between I think it's been a failure and I'm pretty excited because I think this guy could be a really good offensive coordinator, I'm leaning more toward good offensive coordinator. But I don't know. There's way too many unknowns. These guys are putting in... 100 hours a week or whatever, just kind of stupid hours they're putting in. I don't know exactly what they're doing in that time. And I'm sure there are a lot of things Hackett was doing because he has so much experience as a coordinator because he's done it for so many years that he does better 
than than Stenovich. But again, I can't I can't find one thing and say, see, that's where we needed our old offensive coordinator. Anyways, he goes on to give another kind of interesting I mean, it's it's all interesting insight, and then there's always, of course, something that we can read into and which of course means read too much into, but that's what makes all of this fun, right? Um the, the the other funny thing that I've noticed, as much as we all made a big deal about him and McCarthy not getting along, and maybe there was some tension. I mean, when you're losing and you know you guys work together all the time, there's bound to be a couple flare ups and whatnot. But I I just get the impression he misses McCarthy so much, and 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 not necessarily just McCarthy, but he loved that offense. He loved everything about that offense. And I'm not going to play the whole thing because it's a lot, but he did this before where we, we talked about it, where he was talking about how, you know, this is a good offense. The other offense was, you know, a, a perfect offense or a, or, a, or a beautiful offense or however he phrased it. I don't know, but um, he really, really, really loved the Mike McCarthy offense. And I, I didn't think that was the case at the time. I mean, not that I thought he disliked it, but you know, he talked glowingly about what the 49ers are doing and everything, and maybe he was just being kind of polite or, you know, just speaking honestly, but not in terms of it's better than what we do, but it's really interesting, the stuff that they do. But um, for the second time out of, I don't know, three, four weeks or whatever, whenever he made those last comments, he brings up specifically Mike McCarthy and some of the great things he had done. Um, It was kind of funny because he even made a comment Something to the effect of, you know, when we really had the run game going well, and I'm thinking, well, you have it going well right now, but either way, I'm thinking, what are you, are we talking 2020? And the next word out of his mouth is Mike, as in Mike McCarthy. When we had the run game going really well, Mike had da-da-da-da-da. Now, I'm sorry, Mike McCarthy never had the run game going well. He just never did. It, it was It was always kind of a disaster. But anyways, he always speaks glowingly of that offense and everything else. But here's kind of the second half of it. And it kind of fills in some of the blanks about what he thought about Mike McCarthy as opposed to this offense. Um, and I'm going to try not to make too much of it, but I mean, it's just kind of just kind of sitting there. So here's what he had to say about uh, this offense in contrast to the Mike McCarthy offense. This hasn't kind of been the way in this offense. This offense is very kind of turn your brain off quarterback and, and just – like kind of Kunu teaching uh, teaching surfing lessons, like do less sometimes. But for me, I just can't play that way. So I've always wanted to know, like, give me all the calls. What's the single call, the double call, the triple call, the backside, uh, you know, doubles, the backside, B blocks, all those different things. I want to know all the calls so I can, in a jam, get those guys making sure they're going to the right guy and do some of the cheater steps in the system. So run game for me has always been – I really enjoy it because it's uh, – it's about angles, and I was pretty good in geometry. Oh, yeah, yeah, it sounds like... Now, to be clear, never said he doesn't like this offense, and he also didn't specifically say he's not doing what he's supposed to do in this offense. What he specifically said was the offense is built for quarterbacks that are stupid, <laughs> I guess. Uh, that's completely unfair, but that's the way I'm going to phrase it. No, I mean, it's just, it's meant to be, and and we know this, this is a quarterback-friendly system, and Rodgers is confirming that. This is meant so that quarters can, quarterbacks can just, and, and I mean this in so far as NFL quarterbacks, which is still, your brain has to operate at 
15 levels higher than what mine can do. But at the level they're at, it's still sort of a shut your brain off kind of a thing. And um, Rogers is saying, no, that's that's not going to work for me. I want to know everything that's going on, which which is fine. But it does lend a little bit of credence to a couple things. Number one, again, he likes the old offense better than this offense. That seems obvious to me. I mean, he basically flat out said it that, that last time, which again, surprised me. Then he made reference to apparently he thought the last time the run game was really cooking was under Mike McCarthy, which I think is hilarious. But, and I'm going to be, again, unfair to Rodgers, but I'm, I'm just saying what I'm thinking. I think what he appreciated about the old offense is that it, I'll, I'll say it in a more fair way, it, it gave him a bigger sense of purpose. And what I mean is he was the, the main, Mike McCarthy could never at least in what he was doing in Green Bay and everything, survive without an Aaron Rodgers. That offense can't survive. And, and we talked about this before, you know, prior to the new offenses, which maybe are evolving again, but let's just pretend that's not happening. The new innovative West Coast kind of style that's coming through, the the Shanahan, whatever. Prior to that, it was it was always either you find that elite quarterback and you succeed or you don't and you suck. And I remember thinking, as much as these quarterbacks are costing, the first team that figures out how to win with an adequate quarterback, it's going to be the the wave of the future. Because think what that does for your team. These quarterbacks are sucking up 20% of your cap. 20%. What if you could drop that number to 10 because quarterback isn't that important? You're talking about instead of paying them $50 million, you're paying 25 because you're getting some Jimmy Garoppolo type guy? And you can win and succeed like the 49ers have. But think what $25 million can do for you. It's a lot of money. That's, that's a lot of pieces. I mean, it's, it's one giant piece if you want to go get a giant piece. But you can get two to three really solid pieces or just really round out your roster. But if you're, if you're talking, and, and I know the cap hit isn't going to be 50, at least, well, at least not today. At some point, it will get to that point. But you get what I'm saying. It, it is, it's insane the way that that that, that goes. And, and this offense caters to that. Now, you're always going to be better off with an Aaron Rodgers, and that, that was the whole reason I said. I pointed to John Elway back in the 90s, and I predicted prior to Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP that this, you know, potentially, if he could play within the system, he could be that elite MVP, take us to the Super Bowl type of quarterback. After the 2019 season, I said, year two seems to be the thing. That's when these guys kind of click. In 2020, that was the year that we should have won the Super Bowl. That was it. That was the moment. It wasn't 2019. It wasn't 2021. It sure as heck isn't 2022. 2020 was the money season. 2020 was the money. That's that's 100% true. Oh, man. How do, how do people perfect things to such a degree? My wife bought me one of these little Frappuccino things that you buy like at the gas station or a grocery store or whatever. They're so good. They're so good. It's just, it's like a, a perfect taste. You know what else I realized? I was eating one of those freezer breakfast sandwiches, you know, just sausage, egg, cheese on a croissant. It's, it is perfect. It's a frozen piece of garbage. It tastes so good. How do they do that? We, we have, we have perfected taste at this point. Which is why we have videos on YouTube of people like making nonsense. Because everything is so perfect now, it's like we need to just start devolving. Making like spaghetti on the table with Cheerios or some stupid nonsense. Why do people watch those? I don't even understand that. Anyways, um, I, I, I do think there's a general friction there. 
And I think mostly the friction is Rodgers feels less important in this offense and that annoys him. And so, like he said, he finds ways to be like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Not not necessarily in a negative way, although there could be plays in which he kind of gets a little too up in his own head trying to do too much, but more in a sense of I'm going to understand every single thing there is to know about this offense. I'm going to consume everything. I'm going to be the smartest guy on the field, and I'm, I'm going to know the run game better than the running backs and the offensive linemen. And I, I do think it's kind of a pride thing because, again, it's, it's, it doesn't carry that same weight as it did with Mike McCarthy where you have to be a super genius and understand everything and, and be on point and on and all this stuff falls on your shoulders and you're the guy and if you can do it you are there's nobody like you and if you can't then you suck and you get out of here but man and he, it was just it was a challenge and now he's like going back to first grade as a guy with a PhD you know or, or middle school and it's like come on man so again not trying to make too much of it of like oh see he just admitted he doesn't follow the rules and he goes no I I just think I think he finds the offense underwhelming for him personally. Not that the whole system doesn't work. It does. It just doesn't demand as much of him. And I think he thinks that that sucks a little bit. That's all. And it's just what I think. I don't know. Just my opinion. Don't get mad at me. Doesn't matter. We're just talking here. Uh, We do need to take a break soon, but I want to get through this. I didn't expect it to take all this long, but it is uh, interesting. You know what? Let's take a break. We'll take a break. We'll come back and we'll talk about this. Speaking of Patreon, thank you so much. Uh, I think I said thank you to Cole already, but thanks again to Cole. Thank you very much to Miss Jessica. Thank you to Brandon for upping your pledge, and thank you to Chris for uh, jumping in on Patreon. I really, really appreciate that. I personally find it kind of lame when people are like, oh, it's my birthday, everybody pay attention to me. But my birthday is coming up, so if you wanted to get me something, you can jump on patreon.com forward slash I'm just saying. Also, please remember... Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry. You can find their information at FertileGroundRanch.org. Please consider giving. And also remember, every $5 that you donate to Fertile Ground Ranch is going to enter you to win. I swear I've muted this 700 times. Going to enter you to win a signed uh, signed Paul Horning jersey. Comes full, uh, full-on certificate of, of authenticity and whatnot. If I could speak, that would be wonderful, but I can't. I was up very early this morning trying to do stupid grades, so I'm a little bit fried, all right? Leave me alone. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. 
Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All righty, folks, we're going to pick up right where we left off. Um, This next clip is interesting because there's, I cannot wrap my head around this, but we've all heard about the NFL is is evolving, which it always does, but apparently it took a massive evolution this year. And defense has really stepped up this style of defense, and it's really jacking up offenses, and they're really struggling. I don't fully understand that just because of I I acknowledge that it's happening I struggle because it's it's too basic of an explanation because it doesn't explain why offenses and defenses have been doing this since the beginning of the NFL and in my lifetime I don't remember this happening where offenses just completely go to zero and suddenly we're in these throwback you know we got to run the ball we got to be more physical we need you know I've just, I've never seen that before. So anyways, this is kind of a thing that's going on. And Rogers talks about it a little bit. And I just wanted to give my thoughts a little bit. I mean, look, I, I'm, I did kind of say that though, right? Because this game goes in circles, right? And the yes. defense the defense will uh, will definitely lead in, in the direction that offenses will react, right? So when the defense goes to more quarter-quarter half coverage, shell coverage, it's two shell, you got to run the football. So... I'm not surprised at all. And, and that's the way the league has gone as the Rams obviously had a bunch of success uh, running those defenses that are predicated on uh, umbrella in the back end and, and stopping the run and the, and getting to the quarterback with four up front and not bringing a lot of pressure uh, makes teams have to run the football. Then you're also seeing some dynamic offenses, obviously with, uh, with the quarterback runs like the team we're playing this week uh, get involved and obviously what Chicago's doing down there with fields and you know no brainer with Lamar in, in Baltimore for so long uh, that's you know gonna that's gonna be the next jump for the offense and the defense will have to adjust and you'll probably see more one high coverages uh, you know in the next uh, I don't know three four five years wait until you see anyways so this got me thinking okay so the the biggest question I had, and I posed this to our Discord in, in our group because Coach Hawn and Sam and, and Clayton are all into this stuff and they have a better grasp on this and I wanted to get their opinion on it. Coach Hawn chimed in. That's why I love having these guys in here. Um, I asked that question. Are, are we just headed toward a de-evolution? Is, is this, is this going to be like a 10-year thing until we kind of come out of this funk? Or what, what, what exactly is going to happen? And essentially what he said, and I'll just, I'll read it because um, it created a fun little thing for me to do. He says, this is Coach Hawn, my guess is since the rules still so heavily favor the throw game, we'll see a lot more throwing. As in, essentially my question is, is this a short-term or long-term situation? And he's saying the offenses are going to figure out how to throw very quickly. They're just going to change how it happens. He goes on to say, it'll just look different. Not as much 10 and 11 personnel, more 12, 21, and 22. So that's one running back, two tight ends, 
two running backs, one tight end, and two running backs, two tight ends. So heavier formations, more tight ends and running backs, and less wide receivers. The ideal offense to beat today's defense is the Chargers set with LT, Gates, V. Jackson, Vincent Jackson, in like 2008. He says, Lorenzo Neal was a nasty fullback for them, just enough speed outside to keep you out of man, and dudes just winning gaps in the run game. So, I first of all, I started thinking, okay, well, what does that look like for a team today? And I thought, well, Buffalo's kind of that way. They've got the speedy guy on the outside. They've got the good running back now that they drafted. Obviously, they have the quarterback. They don't really have the tight end. And then I thought, well, Philadelphia, they have a very good tight end. They've got a really good run game. They've got the speed receiver as well as A.J. Brown, who's sort of your bulkier uh, whatever. But let's take a look at the 2008 uh, Chargers. Now, he said roughly, so you know it doesn't have to be exactly 2008. But this offense, first of all, was freaky. 13 players, looking at PFF, had grades 70 or higher. First of all, offensive line. The two guards were two of the three highest-graded players on the team. Uh, Mike Goff was the highest-graded player, followed by Chris Dealman. You also had uh, Jeremy Clary and Marcus McNeil, who were graded in the 70s, and two different centers, uh, their main center, Nick Hardwick, as well as Jeremy Newberry. All of these guys were graded as very good football players. You also had Antonio Gates, dominant tight end. You had Vincent Jackson, who was graded in the, the 80s. The interesting thing about Jackson, not only was he a great receiver, he had a 90 run blocking grade. The run blocking on this team was insanity. You had tight end Brandon, uh, Brandon Manumaluana with a 93 overall grade. Mike Goff, the guard, 90. Vincent Jackson, 90. Jeremy Clary tackle was uh, 87. Jacob Hester, the fullback, 87. Uh, Scott... Mruzkowski, the tight end with an 84, Chris Dealman with an 80, uh, center tackle, tight end, center tackle. They were all just dominant run blockers. So then I thought, okay, so what does that mean for us? He mentioned LT, Gates, and Vincent Jackson. I first saw that I was like, left tackle, Gates. The heck is left tackle, Gates? I'm an idiot. Don't worry about it. Regardless of what you think about the, the, the comparison between Aaron Jones and LT, I think Aaron Jones is a good representation of an LT type player insofar as he's a freaking great running back. We do not have a Gates. Vincent Jackson is honestly a maybe. And I know I'm reaching, but he's a maybe insofar as we're talking about Christian Watson. First of all, uh, Jackson was 6'5", 241, 446 speed. So tall and real fast. I mean, 446, especially back then, especially at 241 pounds. He's a, he's a really tall, fast freak taken in the second round. He also didn't really have a prominent first year. 61 targets, 50, uh, 29 receptions for 496 yards and six touchdowns is what he did as a rookie. Didn't crack 1,000 yards until year three and had eight touchdowns. He never had double-digit touchdowns. But real tall, big, fast, freaky guy. And here's the thing. Like I said, we've seen this offense in somewhat of an unstoppable form, and that is when we can get the run game going. Now, we struggle against dominant rushing teams because we, you know, we still need a little bit. Need a little bit of help here and there. Maybe need some help on the offensive line or the tight ends or something with the blocking so that we can continue to be a rushing team. The, the, the other aspect here, and obviously this is not a Philip Rivers situation, but 
one of the other aspects of what we have going on right now, a rushing quarterback, which adds that dynamic of even if you're going against Tennessee, it's going to be tough if you're talking about a guy like Justin Fields, which you know, I, as much as I talk trash about the guy, he's potentially one of the most electric rushing quarterbacks we've seen. I mean, you, you, I don't know how you can see the last couple of weeks and think that it's impossible or even improbable that he ends up a, a, um, a Vic or a Lamar Jackson in terms of just unstoppability, if that makes any sense. Personally, I think he's more of a Colin Kaepernick, but you know, still, that is to say, injured and flames out, and hopefully that's the end of it, and it's not a whole bunch of drama outside of that. But that kind of raises the question, what is it the Packers need? Let's leave defense alone. We need the offense to compete. I think we've seen the formula. We need to be able to threaten in the run game. And assuming Aaron Rodgers stays, we have that. We have the running back. I think we largely have the offensive line, although I certainly think there are upgrades. I don't think we're going to make any. Possibly if we grab an interior person that can compete, uh, I think... You know, John Runyon does a good job as a pass blocker, as a run blocker. He is a liability, and I don't think that that's, you know, back in the Mike McCarthy days, you could be an elite pass blocker that couldn't run block to save his life, and it doesn't matter. I don't know that that's the thing moving forward, and if you're just a pure liability, I think that that's a problem. Also, Josh Myers, uh, he's a second-round pick, so they're going to be slow to move him, but I just, I, I'm, I struggle when I watch the games back. With Josh, I just don't see much there. Maybe it's just a mental thing and he's got to get caught up, but it's it's pretty bad. But I guess the thing I'm zeroing in on is, is it possible that the Packers recognize what's being said here and agree essentially with what Coach Hahn has said? And let's just say, you know, Lorenzo Neal, the, the fullback that he said, who's, you know, got a little bit of speed and whatnot, Let's just say DeGuara can kind of handle that. And I know this has been said a thousand times, but do you start to take a guy like Michael Mayer, tight end out of Notre Dame, more seriously? Where you can be in heavier personnel's tight ends and have him help as a sixth lineman at times and as a receiver at other times. If, let's say, Aaron Jones is out the door, do you start to seriously consider a guy like B. John Robinson, an absolute terror of a running back? It's just a question. Anyways, I did want to get to Matt LaFleur's press conference, but we will save that for tomorrow. Uh, Like I said, I got some brain fry going on, and I have to record um, Packernet After Dark. So you folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.